0: Great song, isn't it? Got the gospel in that one song. Where would we be if the resurrection ever happened? Where would we be if the resurrection ever happened? Lost. We'd be lost, right? We'd be lost. We'd have no assurance that Jesus died for our sins and that his sin paid the price because him raising from the grave was a vindication that yes, Jesus was the spotless lamb who was slain for the world, and uh, his sacrifice was totally acceptable. I hope you have your Bible. Uh, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 17 is where we're going to be today. If you've got the Pew Bible, I think it's on page 989, same place we were last, last week. So we're going to be talking about standing firm in uncertain times. Seems like Paul talks about this a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> Seems like we preach on this a lot. Standing firm in uncertain times. I could have entitled this the man of lawlessness. Uh, I didn't title it that because really the purpose of this is not necessarily to describe this man of lawlessness, but it's to encourage us to stand firm in uncertain times. That's the message that we need to get today is to stand firm in uncertain times. And who do we stand firm in? In Christ alone, right? In Christ alone. Only he knows our future only he can deliver us from the wrath to come and only he can deliver us to heaven where's our ultimate uh, resting place and so i hope you have uh, second thessalonians chapter two open and let's go ahead and stand get a little bit of exercise get the blood flowing a little bit and we're going to read 17 whole verses here a lot of verses to read a lot of a lot of verses to take in But I think that uh, the sermon will make it pretty clear. But this is Paul, once again, speaking to the Thessalonians. They they have a concern about the second coming of Christ. They're afraid that maybe, just maybe, they missed the second coming of Christ and that they're actually living in what we would call the tribulation period. They've gone through so much affliction and persecution. They're afraid that maybe they missed the coming, the rapture of Christ, the second coming of Christ, and they are in the tribulation period. And so Paul's going to tell them, no, you haven't missed it. You need to remember what I taught you when I was there. (laughs) And that's going to be a main thrust of our sermon today as well. So let's go ahead and read, starting with verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself ever so called, every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God, Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming." the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good word and work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to read this scripture together here today, to go through it, to see what it means and to see what it means for us. What difference will it make in our life? How can we... Be more like Christ. How can we do your will because of what we are reading today? And we pray that you would teach us and guide us and direct us so at the end of this that we would have a clarity of the understanding of the scripture and we would also have clarity in how you want to, uh, us to apply it to our lives. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you remember last week, I know it's been seven days, I know a lot has happened this last seven days, but uh, I'm just going to try to keep focused on the Word of God. That's what God has asked me to do, is to preach the Word of God, not necessarily be a political commentator in any way. Uh, although I have strong feelings, obviously, about what happened this week and what, what what is going on, and continue to pray for God's will for our nation. But last week, uh, we learned a little bit differently last week our sermon was a little bit different it didn't focus we focused on the meaning of the text but the outline of my sermon was actually the application that we were to make and i hope you had an opportunity this week to kind of put that in practice maybe you didn't think about it well this is your reminder that paul used this with the thessalonians when he was speaking to them that first of all he greeted them in kindness he greeted them and we are to greet people in kindness as well He was thankful for their life and everything that God was doing in their life. And I think when we meet people, we should be thankful for their lives as well, well, what they mean to our church, what they mean to the kingdom of God. And then thirdly, he encouraged them by sharing some portion of the word of God with them. And I think we should be ready to do that as well. And so our quiet times become very important. If we're having a daily quiet time, then we're more likely to receive a word from God that we can share with someone, encourage them. Uh, I don't think God ever gives us something in the word that we're supposed to kind of keep for ourselves and store it up and it's supposed to be delivered out to people. And then he closed by praying for them. And so I, I think if we were to follow those as we meet people both in the church and outside the church, that uh, it would give us kind of a a better uh, opportunity to ultimately share Christ with them. And to be honest, you guys are pretty good at this. (laughs) You guys are good at this, you're you're good at greeting people, you're you're good at being thankful for people that you have in your life and encouraging and praying, but uh, let's do better as God gives us an opportunity to do that. Now, the word of God also in, in the first chapter that we talked about had some pretty severe things that they talked about they talked about how the the Thessalonians had been afflicted but God was going to give them relief for their affliction when he came and aren't you thankful for that when Jesus comes again and we see him he is going to give us relief from all of our afflictions and he is also coming to afflict those who have inflicted pain and suffering upon us and so there will be judgment And it says in verse 8 of chapter 1, it says the Lord Jesus is going to be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there is definitely a challenge there for us as well to live our lives in such a way that we maximize the number of people that we can share the gospel with. And so we, you know, I'm getting way off my sermon, but we need to look at all avenues of sharing our faith, right? You know, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or YouTube videos or in person, I, I for one like in person. I think that's the ideal, but we can't, uh, we can't uh, just limit ourselves to that, especially in these days. I think there's other ways that we can share the gospel as well and invite people to church as well. And so there is this judgment that's going to come, and we want to warn, we want to share the good news with as many people as we can. And so as we go to our section of Scripture today, uh, really the main message is in that last part that we read about. We are to stand firm in what we have been taught. And so even though we're going through uncertain times, it's difficult, maybe, maybe it's easy for us to sway and to turn away from the true gospel. Maybe it's even possible that we might be thinking, well, this gospel message just doesn't work. You know, we tell people and they seem like they're fleeing the other direction. Now let me tell you that it does work when God is in it. <laughs> when God's Holy Spirit is there and convicting, it works and it works every time. So our, our reason for uh Doubt is not in the gospel message. We know that the scripture says that the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And so there is a harvest out there to, for us to receive. But we need to have more laborers. We need to be sharing Christ in new and different ways while maintaining the same message. But he tells these listeners here, the Thessalonians, he says to stand firm in what you have been taught and he tells us, I think, even how to do that. First of all, he says in verse 5, he says to remember your teaching. He says it precisely this way. He says, do you not remember that when I was with, with you, still with you, I told you these things? And Paul is maybe chastising them a little bit here. He's saying we've gone through this before about the end times. We've gone through this about the gospel before. And you seem like you didn't get it. Or it seems like maybe you've let someone else come in and tell you something different, but I'm going to remind you just in case you forgot it. But I think this is a really a challenge for us to accept our Sunday school teaching, our sermons on Sunday mornings, our teachings on Wednesday night, our quiet times, take them really seriously, right? We should take them really serious as God's opportunity to speak to us as teachers, as pastors. It's their opportunity to not share their word, but to share God's word with you. And so that's why I have always at least given you something to write some notes down on. Because you're more likely to remember, more likely to take serious if you write some notes down. And so he says, Remember what I taught you remember the gospel message and I'm going to share with you one more time. He says about the second day or this uh, Second coming of Christ and I'm going to go through it with you so that you're sure what I'm talking about And first of all he says we will be gathered together with the Lord. Amen We will be gathered together look at verse 1. It says now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him we ask you brothers we will be gathered together with the Lord this is a term that we've used in the past called the rapture if you notice in verse 2 there's actually two terms that I think are different events there's the coming of the Lord Jesus and there's our being gathered together with him so this could be a little bit confusing but we talked about it before I think most of us in here believe in the rapture of the church before the tribulation and the tribulation is a period of time that will come where uh, it's going to be much worse than today. (laughs) Let's, Let's just put it that way. It's going to be a seven year period according to prophecy where the church has been taken out of the world. That's the rapture of the church. And then for seven years, everyone who is not the church is left, to deal with each other. And it's spoken of in the Bible as a time of Jacob's trouble or a time of great tribulation. And so I believe this first verse here is talking about the gathering together of us to him, which is the rapture, and then it's talking about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is where Jesus Christ comes back to earth after the time of tribulation. Does everyone get that? So we have the rapture of the church, it's taken up to heaven to be with the Lord, we have seven years of tribulation, and then we have the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ where he will physically descend from heaven, every eye will see him, he will land on the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives will split in two, and he will put, uh, he will bring peace to the world through war, right? He will silence all of those who have come upon Israel and wanting to destroy Israel. So, the Lord will come after a period of the great tribulation, but Paul is telling them this has not happened yet. They're thinking this has already happened. They're thinking maybe the church has been taken and I'm left here in the tribulation. They're confused because someone has been telling them something different. But Paul is saying this hasn't happened Yet he's saying, "You've been misled by either a spoken word that someone gave that was not an apostle. Uh, it's maybe from a letter someone sent claiming to be an apostle or they weren't. Or maybe uh, maybe it's from a spirit. Maybe it's just a, an emotion or a thought, or uh, some demonic spirit who's given you this idea, but he says, this is not what I taught you. You need to remember what I taught you. The coming of the Lord will not happen. Happen, He says, first of all, until the rebellion happens. That's, is that what your version says? Or maybe apostasy? Might say apostasy if you have the King James Version. If you have English Standard Version, it's probably going to say rebellion. Let me tell you something that's interesting about this word rebellion. <laughs> I did not know this. I always thought it was apostasy. I always thought this was referring to a a leaving of a great number of people from the church. And if it's translated apostasy, that makes sense. If it's translated rebellion, that also makes sense. But here's an alternate translation that actually was in all the English Bibles prior to the King James Version. It says departure. It says departure. It says that day will not come unless the departure comes first and the, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So if that is true, if departure is the word, then it's probably referring to the rapture. It's probably referring to the rapture. And he says, until the rapture haps, happens first, then the man of lawlessness will come that's that's the order and then the second coming of christ so i I just kind of throw that out to you to do a little extra study if you'd like to do a little extra study on that word but it makes sense with what most of us believe about about this uh scenario that jesus comes he raptures the church there's a seven-year period of of tribulation during which this man of lawlessness is revealed, and then the second coming of Christ. So I hope at least that makes a little bit of sense of how I presented it to you. But he says this will not happen until the departure or the rebellion or the apostasy happens first, and then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. So who is this man of lawlessness? Uh, Who is he? Anyone have a name? We don't have a name, do we? We're not given a name for this person. But we are having him being described for us here. And in 1 John, the apostle John calls him the Antichrist. So that gives us a little bit of an idea of what this person is like. He is going to be a man who opposes everything that Jesus stands up for. He is going to be just the opposite. He is going to have tremendous power during this period of tribulation. It is said through different prophetical uh, sections of scripture that he will make a covenant with the nation of Israel for a seven-year period, and he will promise that they will have peace during that seven-year period. You might see why it's kind of interesting to keep our eye on Israel and what's going on in the nation of Israel. There's been a lot of movement recently in the nation of Israel, there have been certain countries who have recognized Israel as a nation, whereas before they would not recognize Israel as a nation. And uh, the the current president, the president, uh, president Trump, has been working very hard with his uh, his son-in-law to help establish peace and security in this land of Egypt. And so I'm not saying anything about who the man of lawlessness has come. You, you might be saying, well, do you think President Trump is this man of lawlessness? No, I do not. Do you think Biden is the man of lawlessness? No, I don't think Biden is a man of lawlessness. But there is going to come someone who possibly might be alive today who will be this man of lawlessness who is also termed the son of destruction. And doesn't that tell us a little bit about who he is? He will come saying that he is bringing peace and security but he will not he will bring destruction and this is not a good thing for us he is able according to the scripture that we read today to perform miracles and wonders they will be false miracles and wonders and they will be by the power of satan and so he will be tremendously powerful tremendously charismatic the whole world at one point will follow him except for save those few christians during the tribulation period who come to faith during the tribulation. It says in our scripture today that he will oppose all other gods, even the God that we know is the one true God. He exalts himself. He doesn't exalt some other God. We exalt God, the Lord God, and we praise and honor him. He will exalt himself, and he will proclaim himself to be God during this seven-year period of tribulation. It's prophesied that he will do this halfway through the seven-year period of tribulation. That he will actually go into the temple, which has been rebuilt, and he will declare himself to be God, which, of course, is blasphemy, right? You know that God is not going to let that stand forever. He will not let that stand forever. But he will, for a period of probably about three and a half years, he will sit in the temple as though he were God. And the people will reverence him as God. He will deceive those who do not believe and had pleasure in unrighteousness. And uh, he will deceive many away from the Lord. So it gives a kind of a grim picture, right? (laughs) Now, thankfully, because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we who have been saved on this side of the tribulation, we will be raptured and we will avoid this time of tribulation upon the earth. That's what I believe. That's what I believe the scripture says. And you might say, well, that's not fair. There have been people who have suffered, you know, down through the ages for Christ. And yes, there has been. There are people suffering today. There are people being put today because they claim the name of Jesus Christ. But we, according to First. Thessalonians 5.19, have been delivered from the wrath that is to come. It's a grace of God. I do not believe we will go through the tribulation. There will be people during the tribulation who come to know Christ, and they will suffer, and most likely, uh, they will be decapitated for their faith because that will be the mode of execution during the tribulation. It's just a terrible time to think about And this should give us an impetus to share the gospel with people now, right? We should share the gospel now. We won't have the opportunity after the rapture. There will be people who come to know Christ and share the gospel. But like I said, they will probably lose their faith. Plus, look at verses 11 and 12. I just know someone probably has a question about verses 11 and 12. But about this time, it says that God sends them... Let's go back to verse 10. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. We know people like that today, right? They refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Verse 11, it says, Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And just some very sobering, Verses, and people will ask, "Well, what does this mean? What's what's he talking about?" And I'll tell you what I think it's talking about. I think he's talking about people on this side of the rapture who have the opportunity to hear the gospel, but they say, "I don't want any of that. I don't want any of that." You know, people like that. That's just not me. I'm not there at that time. You know, maybe for later in my life. They give all these kind of excuses. But that's the people that I believe that he's talking about. When the rapture happens, they will be left behind on this earth, right? They will be left behind on this earth. But because they didn't believe on this side of the rapture, they will not believe on the other side of the rapture. I believe that's what this is saying. God sends them a strong delusion. You might ask, well, can God do that? Would God do that? I think it's in Scripture. It says that he will do that that people on the other side of the rapture who have heard the gospel prior will not now believe. I do believe that there will be a multitude saved who have never heard the gospel. The period of tribulation is going to be a terrible time, but there will be witnesses who will go throughout the whole known world and share the gospel. 144,000 witnesses. Do you remember that in the book of Revelation? And the two witnesses who... Some people believe maybe Moses and Elijah resurrected. I know we're kind of talking about things that seem fantastic, but the Bible says they are true. They will share the gospel. Those who have not heard the gospel prior to the rapture will have the opportunity to be saved. So Paul, he says, remember what I have taught you about this. And he says, don't easily be shaken. Well, I could say that to you today, right? I mean the rapture hasn't happened we're not in the great tribulation yet but I could say that to you today too remember <laughs> remember who is saying this God knows the future He is telling us the future He is sovereign over the future He knows exactly what's going to happen he's telling us ahead of time what is going to happen what we need to believe what we need to do and he says don't be easily shaken because God knows the future, we can not be not easily shaken. God is sovereign. Do you believe that? He's sovereign over the past. He's sovereign over the present. He's sovereign over the future. He not only knows the future, he owns the future. That's a term that you might hear in today's vernacular. He owns it. It doesn't belong to anyone else. It doesn't belong to Satan. It doesn't belong to this man of lawlessness. They are only on a leash that he allows them to do certain things, to bring about his purpose. Isaiah says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not, not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will camp- accomplish all my purpose. God even has purpose in the tribulation period and he will accomplish Everything that he has set out to do. And so don't be easily shaken, especially on the things of this world. We should be focused on the kingdom of God, right? You know, I mean, I know all of you are are sitting out there. I don't know. I know Jake's been a veteran and, and Bill's a veteran. And I saw others raise their hand. I can't remember everyone. Robin are veterans and they love our country. I love our country. But our focus should always be on the kingdom of God. That it should succeed. That all the people God has planned shall come into that kingdom. And that doesn't mean that we don't vote. doesn't mean that we don't work for good in our culture and our society. We absolutely should do that. But regardless of the outcomes of this election, God's work for the kingdom of God still goes on. And we need to reach out to all people. People in other nations, even people across the political aisle from us. We need to reach all of them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So make sure whatever you do in the political realm does not unnecessarily alienate someone who could be your brother in Christ if they receive the gospel or sister in Christ. So don't be easily shaken. Focus instead on the kingdom of God. And then he says, let no one deceive you in any way about the gospel of Jesus Christ or about his second coming. In the book of Galatians, it's one of, this is one of my favorite verses, even though it's a very difficult kind of strong verse from Paul. But he's upset with the Galatians. He is upset with this church, not like the Thessalonian church. He's upset with them because he's, this church has let someone come in and teach them a different gospel in the gospel that Paul received from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, say no, say now, I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Folks, this was, this is not just good words for the people in the churches in the time of Paul, but it's good instruction and advice for us. There are false gospels out there today. There's the prosperity gospel, the promises that if you just seek out your best life, God will bless you with riches and you can have riches and, and that is your reward. Folks, riches are not our reward. The streets of gold in heaven are not our reward. Jesus is our reward. A relationship with him is our reward. And so the false gospel completely gets it wrong. Can you imagine going to Ghana or Kenya in Africa and preaching to them? If you just trust in Jesus, you're going to be rich and have all the wealth that you need. It's ludicrous. They're not going to have that. They're not gonna have those riches, but they can have the riches of Christ, the spiritual riches that we have stored up for us in the heavenly places. And so that's a false gospel. There's a gospel that says that Jesus is just a man. This is the gospel that preaches that he's he's just a teacher. He was a good teacher. He's a kind teacher. Most people in the United States, even if they're atheists, would say, yes, Jesus is a good man. We need to follow his teachings and love one another. And Jesus did teach that we are to love one another, but he taught much more than that. He taught that we need him as a savior, that we need to have our sins reconciled for, that we need to be forgiven of our sins. And Jesus is not just a man. He is the God man. He is God who came in the flesh and lived as a man so that he could die for our sins. Then there's the gospel that says Jesus alone is not enough. This was the gospel that had been taught to the Galatians by these false teachers. They came in and said, well, yeah, faith in Jesus is fine, but you also need to follow the Mosaic Law. You need to have uh, your, your young men circumcised. And only once they're circumcised can they be included in the family of God. It's the Jesus alone is not enough gospel, and it is heresy. <laughs> it is heresy, it is wrong. We cannot add to the gospel, any kind of a requirement to the gospel. Jesus come, says, come uh, to me, all who are uh, labored and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's a, it's a trusting in Jesus Christ alone. He accomplished everything that we need on the cross. It's by grace, not by works, right? It's by grace alone. There's a gospel that says Jesus is not God. That's the other side of the coin. This is Jehovah's Witnesses. This is the Mormons who say that Jesus is a God, but you can be a God too. No, Jesus is the one true God. He is the Jehovah of the Old Testament. It doesn't take anything away from the Father to say that Jesus is God. He had to be God to be perfect, the perfect sacrifice for us. And to say that Jesus is not God is to say that Jesus is not God is not the gospel. And there are other ones. There's Jesus plus good works, which is similar to Jesus is not enough. Um, there's Jesus plus the church. There's Jesus plus being good. There's Jesus plus being baptized. There's uh, many, many false gospels. But the true gospel, of course, is that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Alone. And so regardless if you receive some thought from a spirit or a sp- spoken word from someone else or a letter, um, someone says, send me money and I'll send you a prayer cloth and your sins will be forgiven, reject that. Accept the one true gospel which is jesus christ and jesus alone and so finishing up here today we get back to our original supposition stand firm and hold to the, to the traditions you were taught during these difficult times stand firm continue to preach the gospel verse 15 says so then brothers stand firm and hold to the traditions that were taught by us either by spoken word or by our letter, not someone else's letter, but their spoken word, and that has been recorded in the Bible for us. So stand firm. People today are being deceived, sadly. There are people here today who are being deceived. They're not here today who are being deceived. And so here's my recommendation to you. How can we stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught? Just five quick things, really quick. First of all, we need to be in Christ, right? We need to be a believer in Christ. But just five, thing about, five things about God's word. Listen well to the word of God. Listen well to the word of God. I know listening, like we're in, we're in the setting right now, it's one of the hardest things that we do. I, I know, I've sat in a pew for a long time. It's one of the hardest things for us to do to keep our focus. It's easy to look outside. But take some notes. Write some things down. Keep engaged. Make your pastor do a good job. <laughs> you know, uh, tell tell him when I didn't get that particular point. You know, let me know. You didn't explain that clearly enough. Or you weren't passionate enough, enough about it. But learn to listen well to the word of God. Listen to other pastors. I do not care if you listen to good Preaching pastors like John MacArthur or John Piper or Matt Chandler or David Platt. And there's a host of other ones as well. Don't listen to the bad ones. Don't listen to Joel Osteen. He is not a good preacher. He preaches falsehood. He preaches this prosperity gospel. Read well. Read the Bible. Read it often. Underline as you read will help you keep focus. As you read, ask God, what are you asking me to do from this scripture? You're not just reading to be reading, right? You're not just reading, check something off. You're reading to have a relationship with God. So have a conversation with him as you're reading. Ask him, what are you trying to tell me today? Listen well, read well, study well. Are you engaged in a Bible study? <laughs> to study well, you need to be in a Bible study. And so that could include Sunday morning, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday school. It could include Wednesday nights or Thursday night with the ladies. Memorize well. Oh, he said it. Memorize. <laughs> Memorize scripture. Memorize scripture. Uh, put it, d- take it from your mind and put it deep within your heart which is the fifth one meditate we need to memorize God's scripture and we need to meditate so that it travels from our head down to our heart and it actually makes a difference in our life does that make sense? should make sense I hope we want it to be in our heart so that our behavior is changed The world tells us our behavior can't change, you know? If you were born homosexual, you'll always be a homosexual, right? That's what the world tells us. You may be born with tendencies toward homosexuality, but through the power of Jesus Christ, that life can be changed. I've seen it happen. I've heard testimonies of where it has happened. It's happened in my family. (laughs) And so continue to pray for those who struggle, and it is a struggle for them. And it's not just homosexuality, it's all the sins that we sometimes deal with as well. And so stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught, even in uncertain times. Father, you so much for this time that we've had this morning. Thank you for your word. That makes it so clear, uh, how we are to handle difficult times. And I know that I don't know everyone's personal situation. I know that people have gone through terrible things in their life far above and beyond what I've experienced. And so I pray that your grace would come upon them, that they would realize and know that through God's grace and through Jesus Christ, that they stand before God as a perfectly righteous, whole person. That's how God views us in Christ. And that is available to all who believe and trust in Jesus Christ. He also is working in our life to actually rid sin. From our lives because now with the Holy Spirit living inside of us we have power over that sin It no longer has us as slaves but we are free in Christ free to choose the good over the evil and so empower us to do that and then we also know that ultimately one day you will save us from the presence of sin and you will take us away from this place Those who have rejected you will be punished and we will be forever delivered into the presence of the Lord where we will experience joy and wonders too great to behold. Even so, Jesus, come. We pray that you would come. We pray also that you would help us to be busy until the time that you come telling others about Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.